So I'm walking into the White House now. Uh, I haven't been here for like two and a half months, so I'm not sure if they take your temperature, what the deal is when you walk in through the gates, but I've got my mask. It's totally empty around here. A peek behind the curtain at what goes into traveling with the president in a time of coronavirus. Hi, everyone. I'm CNN correspondent Kristen Holmes, in for David Chalian, and this is The Daily DC. So here's the state of play. The U.S. is nearing a tragic milestone. We are talking about 100,000 coronavirus deaths. And as the country continues to reopen, yesterday, President Trump traveled to Fort McHenry in Baltimore, which is a city that is still under a stay-at-home order for a Memorial Day ceremony. And there, he delivered some very somber remarks. He was honoring fallen soldiers, and he promised to defeat the pandemic. Together, we will vanquish the virus and America will rise from this crisis to new and even greater heights. For as long as we have citizens willing to follow their example, to carry on their burden, to continue their legacy, then America's cause will never fail and American freedom will never, ever die. So the president stuck to his script, he stayed on message, but it was a sharp contrast to the rest of his holiday weekend, which was spent tweeting sexist insults to Democrats, threatening to move the Republican National Convention, and promoting a conspiracy theory accusing a prominent television host of murder. So joining me now to discuss more on the president's weekend is senior White House producer Kevin Liptak and one of the best White House reporters in the country. And that's whose voice you heard earlier. And he traveled with the president to Baltimore yesterday. So Kevin, first of all, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So Kevin, let's start with the president's speech compared to his weekend on Twitter. We, of course, were watching to see those remarks yesterday if he was going to add any of his own color, which he often does. But he really struck the right tone for Memorial Day. However, that was the opposite of what we saw on Twitter over the weekend. And again, he's out there this morning tweeting these conspiracy theories. So I just want to talk a little bit about the contrast. You know, what is actually going on with this juxtaposition? Yeah, it's so interesting. Like when you see the president, when you see him in person, it doesn't always reflect the entirety of where his head is at. And this weekend was probably the best example of him using his public appearances to kind of mark this really solemn holiday. But on Twitter, it was this completely different story. Now, obviously, that's not really anything new for Trump, but it did seem more striking because one, it was Memorial Day, but also it came as the country's nearing the 100,000 death mark for coronavirus. So it's even more jarring, I think, for people to see the president tweeting about these old debunked conspiracy theories, whether it's about Joe Scarborough or all these things that really have nothing to do with the somberness of the day. He's tweeting these kind of vile and racist messages that seem to come out of the darkest corners of Twitter. And you see this so often with Trump where he tries to maybe even more than some of his predecessors to embrace this like high pomp and the presidential trappings of his position, whether he's flying on Marine One to this elaborate Memorial Day ceremony or whether he's traveling abroad to all these gilded state visits in foreign capitals. But then when you can get a real glimpse into where his head is at, which you see on his Twitter, it's so far from that sort of elevated presidential sensibility. And instead, it's kind of this conspiratorial, sinister place. He's called it quote, modern day presidential, but I think it is, it's so jarring to a lot of people, especially on Memorial Day weekend. 
Do you think that that has escalated since coronavirus really became more of a pandemic here in the U.S.? Well, I do think you see it more often when the president is under stress, when he's feeling like his his numbers are down or he's backed into a corner politically. He'll often find these conspiracies on the Internet to sort of stoke and fan. And, you know, people I've talked to say that the president genuinely believes a lot of these things. You know, there's a lot of talk about whether he's trying to distract from something or trying to change the message from something. He may be trying to do that. But on the other hand, he is someone who genuinely believes a lot of this stuff, whether it's that President Obama tapped his 2016 campaign or even this stuff about a morning show host this week. And when he feels like he's backed into a corner, he sort of retreats into this space. And we've seen it time and time again. Yeah, we certainly have. And I want to talk to you a little bit about what it's like to travel with the president. And just a little background on Kevin for our listeners. He has traveled the world with both President Obama and, of course, now President Trump. So we heard you talking about the process before you left at the top of the show. But what are the biggest differences now when you're traveling with the president in this time of coronavirus? Yeah, I was really expecting this trip to look totally different from the other times that I had traveled with a president or a vice president. And there were obviously some huge differences. Like you get your temperature taken when you walk into the White House. You're asked all these screening questions, like whether you've lost your um, taste or smell. And then obviously you have to take a test, a coronavirus test, along with everyone else who is traveling with the president. And obviously everyone in the press corps and the Secret Service agents were wearing masks. But what kind of surprised me was really how standard the trip seemed in the end. I mean, it was the same kind of trip any president might have taken on Memorial Day. You had the same helicopters, you had the same kind of types of movements to the helicopters and around the fort. And of course, that's how President Trump wants it to look. He's encouraging states to get back to normal and he wants to go about traveling and holding these kind of events to set an example. But of course, there's this whole apparatus in place around him that allows him to do that, whether it's testing everyone who's around him, screening people for symptoms, having the ability to fly on his own helicopter or plane. But then when you're out there with him, there are all these clues that things aren't normal. Like when we were flying from Washington to Baltimore, we flew right over the BWI airport and you look down and you see this entire fleet of Southwest planes parked on the tarmac and there's no commercial planes taxiing and the highways are all empty. Or even when we went to Fort McHenry, which is a national park, it's still technically closed. And the mayor of the city, a Democrat, had actually encouraged Trump not to visit. So I think that there are all these signs that the country is not quite where Trump wants it to be, but obviously he's doing these trips and trying to encourage people through example that things are getting back to normal. Well, I actually have two follow-ups for that because my first one is about taking the test. I mean, you're sitting there, you get in line, you take the test, you're waiting. I mean, are you nervous at all? Is there a plan B here? I mean, what happens if you test positive? Like, what happens next? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't too nervous. I was mostly nervous for the test itself because people had talked about how invasive it is, like with the big swab and even President Trump had talked about how invasive it was. But they're using the Abbott 15-minute test, which is less invasive and only like they take the swab and it goes like halfway up your nose and they swab both nostrils. And then they tell you that um, if, you're, if you test positive, they will call you. But if you test negative, you're not going to hear from them. On the one hand, it was very formal. You had to fill out a consent form and everything was organized. But on the other hand, it wasn't like taking a test at a pharmacy where you would find out one way or the other. Like they, If you don't hear from them, you just assume that you don't have it. Yeah, so no news is good news. And the other thing I want to follow up on is this thing you said about masks, because it was just about a month ago I went with Pence to Indiana, right? We went to this GM facility to see 
what they were producing with ventilators. And no one on his team wore a mask. Now, this was before anyone had knowingly tested positive at the White House. Of course, afterwards, two aides, one close to President Trump, one very close to Vice President Pence, tested positive. But you mentioned masks. Is that something you saw a lot of on this trip? Was it different in that sense? Well, certainly everyone in the press wears a mask and Secret Service agents seem to mostly be wearing masks. Of course, President Trump isn't wearing a mask. We all know that by now he's not going to wear a mask in public. I was kind of struck at the event itself that most of his aides were also not wearing masks. Like we saw the chief of staff, Mark Meadows, and the national security advisor, Robert O'Brien, and they were not wearing masks. There were a few cabinet officials, the defense secretary and the interior secretary, and they weren't wearing masks either. And so there has been a dictate in the West Wing that people entering the building, aides entering the building, should wear masks when they're in public spaces, not necessarily when they're in offices, but when they're in public spaces, they're supposed to be wearing masks. But at this event, because it was outdoors and because everyone had been tested, I guess, most of his aides weren't wearing masks, even though a lot of people in the crowd were. Yeah, and you talk a little bit about setting this example for people and that, you know, that everything's back to normal when he's traveling and that he's not wearing a mask. But again, you also say the one thing that makes him different from every other American, which is every single person who might even possibly come into contact with him gets tested, unlike what we saw over the weekend of all the images of people on the beach. Did you see Melania in a mask? I know we saw some video that showed her putting on one in, on the Marine one, of course, the president's helicopter there. Did you actually see her when she got off the helicopter or was it just when she was inside away from cameras? I think that was only when she was Um, inside the helicopter. Certainly by the time she got to the Memorial Day event, she wasn't wearing a mask. But even wearing a mask in the helicopter where you know their cameras are running right outside, certainly Mrs. Trump knows when she could be on camera. That's sort of something every first lady gets a very quick lesson in very early on. So she certainly knew that she could potentially have been photographed in that mask. And she has done some PSAs where she's wearing a mask and photographs before. I think she is on somewhat of a different page from her husband on whether or not they should be seen wearing masks. But certainly President Trump has made crystal clear. And he said as much when he visited a plant last week that was manufacturing ventilators. He's not going to let the press see him wearing a mask. That's just sort of his stance. He made fun of Joe Biden for wearing a mask, essentially. He was mocking him. Is this all about his image? Well, I think it's about his image, but I think it's also becoming something more. And you're seeing this kind of cultural divide in the country between wearing masks and wearing not masks. And a lot of the divide seems to fall along the same political lines as kind of everything else in the country. It's being wrapped up in the ideological and political divides of the Trump era, where Trump supporters think that wearing a mask is kind of an incursion on their civil liberties. And people who oppose Trump say that wearing a mask is sort of a necessary public responsibility in the age of coronavirus. And when you look at polling, it is split along party lines. Although I think the vast majority of people, something like 67% of people say that people should be wearing masks in public. When you look at the divide, there are far more Democrats who say that mask wearing should be required versus Republicans. So it is interesting that Trump seems seems to have recognized that this is also becoming a political wedge issue, more so than just an image issue, and he seems to be fanning that. And you said that some of his closest aides weren't wearing masks, but what about you know the regular people who were in the audience who were invited to the ceremony yesterday? Were they taking any extra precautions? Yeah, so the crowd 
at the event at Fort McHenry, they were all spaced apart. They had chairs and they were all spaced around six feet apart. And most of the people in the crowd were wearing those simple kind of cloth masks. Although there were some people who were wearing like those full plastic face coverings that you see like dentists wearing or surgeons. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But by and large, the vast majority of people in the crowd. So like when Trump was standing at the podium looking out at the crowd, he would have seen most people wearing masks. That wasn't true for some of the service men and women who were participating in the event. There were various color guards and that kind of thing, and none of them were wearing masks. And there was also this fife and drum corps. And obviously you can't play like a colonial fife when you're wearing a mask, so none of them were wearing masks either. But the invited participants were all wearing masks. And with that, we'll be back with more from White House producer Kevin Liptak. And we're back with Kevin Liptak. So I want to ask you a general question here, and this is just about traveling with the president, because I think people are curious what it's actually like. You know, two things. One, is it as glitzy and glamorous as everyone thinks it is? And two, obviously, in these circumstances, you are witnessing history, but are you actually able to soak it in when there's, you know, so much going on and so much movement? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. Obviously, there's a lot of, like, running around when you're covering the president because you always have to kind of be in place before him and then get out of place after him. So you're sort of sprinting to catch up with him. And I I think this event was a little different because it was just kind of like a day trip up and back to Baltimore for a fairly routine Memorial Day event. So it didn't seem as if there was a huge amount of history to be soaked in. But it was interesting. I had never been to Fort McHenry before. It's kind of this like star-shaped fort. And it was where, it was the fort that inspired the Star-Spangled Banner. And so the whole thing had this kind of early American vibe to it with the guys in the tricorner hats and the wigs and the fife and drum corps. Please welcome the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, and the First Lady, Melania Trump. So that was interesting. But in terms of traveling with the president, I do think it is hard sometimes to recognize sort of the majesty of the event. And Trump certainly tries to make that apparent in the types of events that he chooses. But when you're kind of staring at your computer to try and type up what he said or trying to communicate with your camera guy and audio guy to make sure that you've got all the tape in place, it can be a little distracting. And sometimes you do have to pause for a second to just say like, well, this is a really interesting job that you get to be doing. Yeah, and there are some amazing moments. And I'm just curious, what is one of your favorite memories of traveling with the president, either former President Obama or President Trump? Well, I think both presidents had like an eye towards history making and the way that they chose how to travel. So I think some of those trips stand out. And when you think of President Obama going to Havana, breaking this sort of 50-year 
freeze in relations between the two countries. And just being in old Havana, US Air Force One touched down and watching him walk through the streets with his wife and daughters. And you could feel it in the city. Cities, when these things happen, have a certain like energy to them. And that particularly, just because it reflected so much of a change in the ties between the two countries, that was a moment that really stuck out. And I think President Trump has tried to adopt some of the same feelings, if not the polar opposite of the policies. But when he meets with Kim Jong-un, I went to both of those summits and you could really sense the feeling that something different was happening. And for better or for worse, policy-wise, it is true that those events are historic and, you know, it's a real privilege to be in place to cover them when they happen. Yeah, it definitely is. And I think it's incredible just to hear you describe it. I know that same feeling of, you know, looking around, trying to figure out where's your cameraman? Is everyone in the right position? You know, this correspondent uh, needs this. And at the same time, you know, in the background, this huge historical event is happening. But yeah, you're right. Just take a step back and realize just how incredible it is. Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. And a special thanks to our listeners as well, who are putting up with guest hosts all week and putting up with me for the rest of the week. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight, so please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, please consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people like you find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, please do so and use the hashtag TheDailyDC. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.